tonight. Let me make a couple of announcements that are uh, necessary. The Harvest Crusade, of course, begins this coming uh, Friday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday evening. And so uh, continue to be in prayer related to that, inviting people the you know, final days now before the crusade and, and bringing them also. We're going to be ha- uh, having all of our regular meetings occur all through the week this week, but we've also added a prayer meeting for Monday through Thursday day night meet in the children's auditorium seven o'clock to eight o'clock each night to pray specifically for the harvest crusade and so be aware of that come on out let's lift up our voices to the Lord and an expression of our faith and our confidence in him in prayer and uh, undergird everyone associated with uh, the harvest crusade next Sunday evening there will not be a Sunday evening service we'll be uh, down in Turlock attending that Uh, also a reminder that we have a bus reserved for the crusade And uh, for those of you who might be a little older or have some physical limitations and you want to be able to be dropped off a little closer to that gate, uh, that's available. $5 a person, 4 p.m. in the evening, next Sunday evening, return about 9 p.m. It's a table, harvest table set up out in the fellowship hall for you to uh, get situated on that. Still some needs, so many needs, I mean uh, literally thousands of people involved in this and volunteers and, and all the different churches and also it's been tremendous how people have come forward to help there's still a few needs that are still out there that you can uh, jump on here uh, kind of uh, even the week uh, is is it's coming and a table in the fellowship hall where you can kind of sign up for that and uh, some specific needs that we're trying to shore up related to the crusade and uh, so the harvest folks they're saying that listen this is what we need just to get those final numbers right where they should be we can have all the help that we need on that and, and so they lay it out to us. It's our valley. <laughs> it's our harvest field and our place of ministry. And so if you've been wondering, boy, do they really have a need? Could I really do something there? The needs are real. And uh, they'll take care of you. A great step of faith and, and uh, growing in ministry. And also jump in there and become a part of that. Also, ladies, remember the upcoming ladies' retreat and also the young woman's dessert evening this Tuesday at 7 p.m. There's more information related to both of those events at the women's ministry table in the fellowship hall after the service. All right. Exodus chapter 30. Uh, Tonight, Sunday nights, we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we find ourselves now in Exodus chapter 30. Our dear friend Moses is uh, up on the top of Mount Sinai, and uh, the children of Israel are down below at the base of the mountain. Uh, Joshua is about partway up the mountain, have an assistant to Moses. And Moses is up on the top of that mountain receiving revelation from God uh, concerning the building of the tabernacle, which is the tent of meeting, the building of the different furnishings that would be uh, both inside and around the uh, tent of, of meeting, the tabernacle, and then also instruction for the um, creating of of the priestly garments related to the Aaronic priesthood. And so he's still receiving all of this instruction from the Lord. And we pick it up now where God gives him 
his instruction related to what is called the altar of incense. And he said to Moses, you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. Now, uh, uh, incense in the Bible, uh, very typical over and over again, it speaks of prayer. And so this was an altar where the priest would offer incense morning and evening. And what it did was it symbolized, and incense has a fragrance to it, doesn't it? It symbolized their prayers being lifted up uh, to the Lord. So it was to be made of acacia wood, and we'll see in a little bit, it was to be overlaid with gold. So as we see in so many of the furnishings, there's the gold and the wood coming together. Again, speaking of Jesus' humanity and his deity. All of it's a picture of him. A cubit, or 18 inches, shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square. The size of the top, two cubits shall be its height, 36 inches. And so about the size of, of a pretty good sized but overly tall nightstand <laughs> you know, next to your, your bed. Not a gigantic uh, piece of furniture. It's, it was to have uh, horns uh, that would, would also be as a part of it. They were all to be one piece uh, with, with the piece as a whole. So that there were no rivets or screwing these things on there or something uh, at all. You shall overlay its top, uh, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold and you shall make for it uh, a molding of gold all around two gold rings shall you make for it uh, under the molding on both its sides you shall place them on its two sides and they shall be holders for the poles with which you bear it you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold so once again the uh, like so many of the other furnishings, structurally it had rings on the side, poles that would be put in the rings, so it had to be <clears throat> it had to be uh, convenient for transportation. Uh, God's people are a pilgrim people in this world. Certainly at this time we are that spiritually in 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 the world, and uh, but at that that time they are with the tabernacle. It's a portable kind of place of meeting. The furnishings had to be portable too, and so. They were uh, built for that. And then you shall put it, this, uh, this altar of, of incense, you shall put it before the veil that is between the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, which is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. So it's talking about the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant is called the ark of testimony because it contained the testimony or the witness of God. The Ten Commandments were inside of it. So this is very, very interesting, the placement. Um, of this uh, particular altar of incense. You had the Holy of Holies, which was a 10 by 10 by 10 structure, the most holy place. Outside of that was what was called the holy place and a curtain between them. This furnishing is right up near that curtain that separated the two. So it's as close to the Holy of Holies as it can be without being inside of the Holy of Holies. And that speaks to us, whatever this furnishing is about, whatever it represents, it's be, being given the preeminent position next to the very presence of God uh, in, in that, arc, uh, in, in that uh, tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. So whatever it is, this is super, super important, whatever this represents. And Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. So he goes in 
to uh, feed the oil and, and light the lamps of the golden lampstand. He'd do that every morning. He was also to then burn incense uh, in the morning. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, so in the evening, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So the incense was to be offered morning and evening. You shall not offer strange incense on it. So nothing like from one of these herb shops or some health things or something like that. So it was going to be a very specific incense, uh, and we'll see a little bit why later uh, in the chapter. So no strange incense. You couldn't come up with your own thing. Uh, or a burnt offering or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now this atonement talks about the day of atonement. And atonement means at one mint. And on the day of atonement, you might remember we talked about it, where the two uh, goats were killed, or one goat was killed, one was released into the wilderness to represent the full work of, of Jesus related to uh, our sins. And uh, so the goat that was, was killed, the blood of that sacrifice, this only happened one day out of the whole year on the day of atonement. It was the one day out of the whole year that the high priest could go into uh, the Holy of Holies. Well, the blood of that sacrifice that represents the uh, death of Jesus on the cross, the blood of that sacrifice was also every year to be applied to the horns of, uh, of the altar here on this, this altar of, of incense. Now, as it relates to the imagery of all of this and what it, it symbolized, it symbolizes, as I said, incense represents prayer in the Bible. And when incense was offered, it was often offered as kind of an outward kind of physical expression of prayer being offered up to the Lord. And it's a very appropriate picture of prayer, as we'll see in just a moment. There's so much we'll just see in just a moment. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful coming to this church? But anyway... The altar of incense is a beautiful picture of, of Jesus because it does represent prayer. It speaks of Jesus' current work in heaven, and that is his intercession before the throne of God for us, his prayers for us. So it's very appropriate that this article would be right before the presence of God, there the Holy of Holies, because that's the position that Jesus takes in heaven as he intercedes or he prays for you uh, all day, uh, every day. Concerning Jesus' ministry of prayer, let me read a couple of verses to you. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24, But he, Jesus, because he continues forever as our high priest, has an unchangeable priesthood, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. And why is why he able to save us to the uttermost? Since he ever lives to make intercession for them. So the high priest would come in in the morning, he would come in the evening twice a day, and he would offer up this incense as a symbol of prayer. And we're told concerning our great high priest that he never ceases to pray uh, for 
us. So, because it's, it's nearness to the Holy of Holies, speaking of the importance of this altar of incense, it speaks about the importance of Jesus' intercession for us as His people. How good does it feel tonight to know that Jesus is praying for you? says, children, I mean, sometimes you can think, you know, nobody even knows I exist. I don't know if I'm on anybody's prayer list. I don't know if anybody cares. You're on Jesus' prayer list. And he never, ever ceases to pray for you. There you are in that hospital room. There you are heading into that meeting, and, and you just feel like you're all alone in the whole world. There you are, you've got bad news from a husband or a wife or whatever, and who can understand and the whole thing, and, and who cares about me and, and, and can walk me through this? Jesus does. And he takes his, his, uh, his intercession for us very, very uh, seriously. And I think it's wonderful to realize if I'm not on anybody else's prayer list, then I'm on his prayer list. It's also good to know, I think, that not only is Jesus praying for us, but the Bible says that the Holy Spirit never ceases to pray for us. I mean, it's, the Bible talks about the power of united prayer. It's happening in heaven for us. You can't have a better prayer meeting than Jesus and the Holy Spirit getting together and praying related to the Father on things. And that's what's happening all the time uh, for you. He, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so He never ever offers up a misguided prayer for us. Now, there's other symbolism here beyond the symbolism of, of Jesus. Again, prayer is uh, incense example or an illustration of prayer so often in the scriptures David wrote of it Psalm 141 verse 2 let my prayer be set before you as incense the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice in the Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 we're told uh, and when he Jesus had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints thousands of years of thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven in those bowls that are being lifted up there Jesus never loses track of a single prayer and so it speaks about our prayers and how God receives them the horns as they were built into this particular altar, uh, horns in that ancient time, it spoke of power and uh, a symbol of power in the scriptures. So it represents the power of prayer. And how many of us understand about the power of prayer? It's very powerful, isn't it? 
I think the longer we walk with the Lord and the older we get in the Lord, the more we appreciate the importance and the power of prayer. You notice that it was to be offered every morning and then also at twilight. It represents the importance of beginning the day and ending the day with prayer. Just great. You know, isn't it wonderful to be able to head off at the end of the day? You put your head down on the pillow. If you're young, typically you're asleep in three seconds. So you've got to get a short prayer off. Get a little bit older and you got about an hour and a half before you fall asleep and plenty of time to lift up plenty of prayers to the Lord. Uh, but it's so nice to just say, Lord, thank you for the day and bless our evening and, and night. Make the night season even count for you, Lord. And whatever you want to lift up to the Lord and, and beginning the day in, in, in the same way. And, uh, so in the blood again applied each year on the Day of Atonement to the horns of the altar of, of incense, that blood representing Jesus' sacrifice. And so a picture of the fact that our, our prayers have access to the throne room of God only because of Jesus' sacrifice. He's the one that allows our prayers uh, to reach up uh, to the Father. Uh, interesting that there in verse 10 that God connects the two altars uh, together. The, the, uh, the brazen altar where the sacrifice was, was offered and then the altar of, of incense. It's only because of the brazen altar that speaks of Jesus' sacrifice that we can then perform the great privilege of prayer represented by the uh, altar of, of incense. It also, I think, reminds us that in order to be like Jesus, in order to be like our Savior, we need to not only be praying morning and evening, but to pray without ceasing. I think it's good to realize that when Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, pray without ceasing. Now, don't close your eyes. You'll be a danger. But there's just that communion. We start the day and start with prayer and meeting with the Lord. And we've begun a conversation now that we're going to keep up with God all through the day. And, and so as we pray without ceasing, all that we're doing is being exactly like the Lord who never ceases uh, to pray for us. I'm convinced that we're never more like the Lord than when we're praying uh, for others. Now in verse 11, when the Lord spoke to Mo then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the census uh, of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. I want you to notice that word ransom there in, in verse 12. Then when you number them, that they, there may be no plague among them when you number them. And so God is giving the children of Israel here a way in which to number the children of Israel, but to do it in a sanctified way. Uh, David, remember, some of you might remember in the Word of God, he, he numbered the people, uh, and, and there were several times where God wanted the people to be numbered, but they were to be numbered in this way. David numbered the people without numbering them by virtue of this uh, redemption offering that they're going to give the half shekel. And, uh, and it brought a judgment brought a plague upon God's people because of it. God, there were times where the children of Israel needed to know what the size of their you know, number of men they had above the age of 20. They needed to kind of have a census. It was legitimate. Um, but if they did it, 
in this way by making this offering that represented the fact that they recognized that they had been redeemed out of Egypt they were a miracle of God and it was a whole big God thing behind the census then they could keep their heads screwed on straight not get proud and and uh, and all David numbers the people sends them out there God brings a plague on them because he's numbering them now to try and figure out how strong they are as a nation on the basis of their military on the basis of the number of people that they have and God was upset with that because the nation of Israel and God's people are never strong supremely or even remotely on the basis of our numbers we are strong because we have a great God and David was misguided in in all of this so sometimes here's God he can call us to do something great and uh, what we do is we number the people or we number our bank account or we number the months of our experience or we number this kind of thing and we think these things are all of our strength and we talk ourselves out of that fact when the strength is we have a God who's calling us to do something and what he calls us to do he's going to equip us to do that maybe there's one or two of us who sit here tonight God's calling you to do something and you did a census <laughs> you know find out what your strength was you've got this and a little bit of this and this and this. your strength is that God called you to do something and that he's going to be with you when you do that so that's where David got into hot water and and uh, uh, because he violated uh, this here and we're all prone to it we're all prone to it so when you take the census verse 12 again of the children of Israel for their number then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them that there may be no plague among them when you number them and this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary a shekel is twenty geras the half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord everyone included among those who are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord the rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel now they would in other offerings give proportional to their wealth or to their increase uh, but this offering was didn't matter if you were poor or rich everybody gave a half a shekel when you give the offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be and then notice this a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves the symbolism here in you notice in verse 16 uh, it's described as a memorial that's a circlable uh, word in your Bible also uh, referred to in verse 15 or verse 12 as a ransom so this offering of the half shekel it was a recognition of their redemption every time they gave it every year it reminded them of what God had done in redeeming them out of the bondage of Egypt and the idea behind it was that they would always be a thankful people for that redemption now they're doing all of these offerings related to their sin and, and, and all these very, very important things that have to do with their relationship with God. But God wanted them to 
always remember their salvation story, to always remember how he delivered them out of that bondage of, of Egypt. And it would keep them uh, a thankful uh, people. And he wanted their uh, thankfulness for being delivered from Egypt to not only be expressed um, in their uh, giving of the sacrifices and all, but also in the giving of their money. Everyone was to give the same amount. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, you know, no matter what their race or their, their you know, kind of social standing or background. And the reason that this offering was to always be the same for everyone is it's a picture of our salvation and and how that everyone is redeemed everyone comes into the kingdom of God the same way we're all redeemed for the same price and so each man's uh, personhood and 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 value was expressed by the same sum of money Paul speaks of this when he writes to the Romans in terms of our common redemption but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God which is through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus we have all come into the body of Christ the same way through the same price that was paid Peter writes in terms of this common redemption and if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work conduct yourselves throughout the time of your sojourning here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish we share a a shared salvation all saved the same way nobody can boast I mean we all celebrate it and in, in the same measure but nobody can say that you know that they're more than somebody else we all got into the kingdom of God the same uh, way so beautiful way of keeping them reminded of of his redemption how he paid the ransom and redemption uh, means a release upon payment of a ransom we were released from our Egypt, the bondage of sin, the bondage of self, the bondage of this world, only because a ransom was paid to free us from that. Otherwise, we'd have never been freed. And that ransom was the blood of Jesus Christ. No blood ever like that. Never was, never will be. That's the blood that, that delivered us from our former life. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall make a laver of bronze. Uh, with its base also of bronze and here's the purpose for washing and you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it so when you would walk in that courtyard on your way to the tabernacle of meeting there'd be the uh, altar the brazen altar for the um, uh, for the sacrifices and as you'd make your way toward that uh, tabernacle here would be this uh, uh, bronze uh, laver that would be kind of in the middle of the courtyard but you always had to go past the the sacrifice the altar of sacrifice in order to get to this bronze
comes later. The progression is, is significant. Uh, so you'll put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you, should, you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash, and then notice this, their hands and their feet in the water. So it's for the purpose of a ceremonial washing for them. And when, when they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister uh, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. What this symbolized, this uh, 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 brazen altar uh, or the brazen laver it symbolized the, it's, uh, the purpose of it for washing and for cleansing it symbolized the fact that nobody can approach God apart from cleansing without being washed without being sanctified without being made uh, holy now some of the uh, different ways that we're washed as Christians and, and spiritually cleansed in the New Testament as New Testament priests all of this is a picture of that uh, our, our priesthood in, in the New Testament. One of the ways that we're washed as New Testament priests in this way is we're washed through the water of the Word. One of the great images of the Bible uh, that's used for the Bible in, in the Bible is that it is, it's water that washes us and cleanses us. Let me read you a couple of verses that speak to that. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way impossible he's hopeless <laughs> no the psalmist said by taking heed to thy word taking heed according to thy word Ephesians chapter 5 uh, declares husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The word of God cleanses us. John chapter 15 verse 3, Jesus spoke to the disciples and he said, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And so there's that recognition for us. Uh, even in the New Testament, that as New Testament priests, those that represent God before the world and represent the world to, uh, uh, to God in, in, in prayer, that we're in need of continual daily uh, cleansing through, through the Word. And so we need to be continually cleansed in this way through the Word. So here we are, we're walking through the world and we get exposed to you know, the impurity of the world, the violence of the world, the uh, materialism of the world, the world's looking to fashion us. We get exposed to the sin and temptations of the world and, and uh, it's trying to change our attitudes and make us selfish and impatient and it's trying to fashion our thinking and our perspective and, and all of that. Wherever we are, school or home or just you know, at work, wherever it might be that's going on all of the time and then what happens say man I gotta sit down and read my Bible and you sit down and you read your Bible and what happens I mean just within minutes it's like whew. does anybody bear witness to that tonight? I mean it's real isn't it it's a living word Say, man, they just, I got pounded like crazy all day long. I mean, I just so, and, every, and you sit down and you start to read the Word. And it may be in Leviticus. You think, what in the world could, how could God speak to me from Leviticus related to the day that I've had? It's, it's just alive and powerful on its own. 
And it just, it just washes, it cleanses, it returns an eternal perspective to our lives and, and helps us to start to see things in the light of, of His Word and all. And it's real, the cleansing that occurs uh, by his, his Word. It's interesting in, in Exodus a little bit later in chapter 38, verse uh, 8, we're giving uh, some, uh, I think it's amusing, but it's, it's very instructive, some uh, insight into what, where they got the bronze to make the laver. Do you know where they got the bronze to make the, the bronze laver? They collected all of the bronze mirrors from the women, and they melted down the mirrors, and there were so many mirrors, I'm just kidding, but they, they had enough to make a bronze altar. Now in those days they didn't have like these mirrors where you just, I mean you can walk into any place and for two dollars you can have this gigantic mirror. I mean stuff is so cheap and all and you can see yourself more or less. They didn't have that kind of glass and those things in those days. So they would take bronze, polish it as, as polished as they could get it and that was their mirror. You would look in and have, you know, some idea what you look like, you know, and uh, however important that was uh, to them in those, well obviously it was important they had bronze mirrors didn't they nothing new under the sun but they but they took that and they melted those and that's what they made the uh, the uh, brazen uh, laver uh, out of, of that and I think that it, it illustrates that true beauty and change in in our lives doesn't come by spending time in front of the mirror you know being self-consumed and, and, and self-focused but by spending time in God's Word that's where the cleansing uh, comes from that's where the real beauty comes out related to our lives now the other thing that this uh, this bronze laver uh, Represented and one of the ways that we're cleansed, also cleansed as New Testament priests, not only by the Word of God, but also by the confession of our sin. Anybody else sin is a I mean, just fall short ever. Little anybody a little less than like Christ on say a monthly basis. Okay, good, very good. All right, let it let it let uh, let it show for the tape and the radio audience that there were three people in the room. Everybody else is doing uh, fabulous uh, here but but we have a need for confession of sin receiving God's uh, forgiveness so they would with with Aaron and with those priests their initial experience with the the bronze laver is that they would came in and they were completely bathed and, and, and cleansed by the water that represents what happens to us when we're saved completely cleansed of our sin but now here subsequent to that God ha has made a way that they would wash their hands and their feet during, during the course of, uh, of their, their lives not their whole bodies again but just their hands and, and, and their feet. And uh, it, it, because in the same way, we need to wash our hands and feet, so to speak, by receiving God's daily uh, forgiveness. Uh, they've already been cleansed of their sin, but now they needed this kind of wash-up on, on a regular basis. John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, uh, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So 1 John 1, 9 is called the Christian bar of soap. You wash up with it regularly. Same imagery from the Old Testament where we just come to the end of the day, we miss the mark, we sinned in the situation and all, we confess that sin to God and, and we, we wash up, we get clean again and then continue on in our ministries to, to the Lord. One of the things that's fascinating also about this uh, bronze labor is there's no measurements given 
I mean, and all these other things, he's got it like right down to the, you know, gnat's eye, uh, eyelash. And here and this and the whole, and I mean, God is, is so into detail, and he does not give any measurements for this, this brazen uh, laver uh, here. And it symbolizes the fact that the cleansing power of the Word of God is limitless. It knows no measure. Knows no measure. It can cleanse us, cleanse any saint of anything that they pick up in this world. And it also speaks to us of the fact that God's forgiveness of His children, it knows no limit. We can always go to Him. Lord, I so missed the mark right there. I, I, I can hardly believe, I can believe it, but I can hardly believe that I did what I did right there. And, and there's no limit to God's forgiveness in our lives. It's a beautiful picture, uh, isn't it, from, from the Word of God of these things of the Lord. Then he goes on and he talks about the anointing oil in uh, uh, verse 22. And, and oil in the Scriptures uh, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, the good stuff. Take 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. Now, how many of you have that in, in one of your cupboards in the bathroom or in your spice uh, shelf at home? You have those ingredients. And I'm here, you live in the wealthiest country in the whole world. You don't have those on your, on your, in, in your home. These, these spices that he's talking about, are they, they do two things. They are unbelievably expensive in the ancient world. These kind of spices, they didn't just get out in the wilderness of the, of the desert of Arabia there. These were spices that were doubtless given to them when they left Egypt and then the Egyptians gave them gifts as they, they went out. So you've got stuff, this, whatever this oil is and these spices that are used in the oil, you're talking about something that is incredibly, unspeakably valuable, number one, and number two, must have smelled beautiful, especially, you know, in, in desert days and that kind of a thing. So, so what it speaks of is the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How valuable do we consider the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Very valuable. What could we do apart from the Holy Spirit? How valuable is it to be able to stop any time of the day or night and ask to be freshly filled with the Holy Spirit this is just a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is infinitely more valuable. And we have that kind of access to once again have that oil poured on us of, of the Holy Spirit. And then to take on His fragrance as, as that happens. And so it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And you shall make uh, of these a holy anointing oil and 
ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. So it's for, it's for anointing, the, speaking of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And with it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table with all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the, uh, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the labor with its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. He's saying, pour this oil on everything. <laughs> Everything that's associated with me. I want it to have this anointing on it and this fragrance on it. I'll tell you, I, I, I think so often related to this church and, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit were to lift off of this church, I, I think you'd see a for sale sign out in front of it in two weeks. I mean, he holds the whole thing together. It's incredible. I mean, we have some structure in all here. But there is no way what is, is happening here, ministering to the children, different areas of the ministry, things going on around the world and all these, there's, that, that is all happening by the Holy Spirit. We want everything to be marked by the Holy Spirit around here. People say, How, what's going on here? What's happening? How come this? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one that's doing it. And, and I love it. So the, everything was to be marked by by his uh, anointing and you and so you shall and you shall speak to the children of Israel saying this shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations it shall not be poured on man's flesh nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition it is holy and it shall be holy to you whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people and so the restrictions three restrictions or at least a couple of restrictions related to the anointing oil he said there in in verse 32 it's not to be poured out on man's flesh the Holy Spirit is not given to us in order that we would be empowered to do the desires of our flesh or to do our own will. Remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit given in order for us to be witnesses unto Jesus. It's not power for us to do our thing, but power to obey God's call uh, upon our, our, our lives. And then he said in verse 32, nobody was to imitate this. They weren't to uh, make anything other like it. So uh, you were either had this anointing oil or you didn't. You couldn't kind of fabricate something on your, your own. So there was no pretending you had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. No pretending you had the fragrance of the Holy Spirit on your life or any of that. What you needed to do was get anointed with the Holy Spirit and then be what the Holy Spirit is in your life. But no need for that kind of, of pretending. I always feel bad when, when sometimes I'll be in an environment where the Holy Spirit is always said to look a certain way or that people who are under the anointing of the Holy Spirit speak a certain way and all. And you watch people trying to fabricate a sense of the Holy Spirit's presence in the room or in a prayer meeting or something like that. And, and there's no need to do that. God doesn't want us to do that. 
The anointing of the Holy Spirit's there just for the asking. If we know how to give good gifts to our children, Jesus said, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? There's no need to try work something up, pretend something and, 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 in, a, in our own uh, kind of, of flesh. So we're not to duplicate or try to duplicate the work of the Holy Spirit by human effort. And it was never to be put upon someone who was not a Israelite or a, an Old Testament priest in the same way that the Holy Spirit cannot come on uh, a life in the way that he desires a baptism with the Holy Spirit uh, upon only a Christian can have uh, that anointing. One of the things that's fascinating to me about this anointing oil is that he could have just used olive oil. and I mean, It's got a little, you know, and poured on you and you have the imagery of the Holy Spirit. But he adds all these spices to it. And why does he add all these spices to it except that there's a reason for it. And the reason that he adds all these spices that add all of the smells to the anointing of, of, uh, of the anointing oil here is that he wanted there to be a fragrance about this oil of the Holy Spirit. He wanted there to be a fragrance of, of the you know, baptism or the filling with the Holy Spirit. One of the things, they take this oil, they pour it on the priests and pour it on everything so that when a priest would then leave the area of the tabernacle, head out into town, head out from their devotional life to school or wherever they might go, and what would happen? They'd have that fragrance still on them from the Holy Spirit. And you always knew a priest was around by the very unique fragrance that was on their lives. And so when we ask to be refilled with the Holy Spirit and He comes on our lives, in the same way that there was a physical fragrance on their life, there is a spiritual fragrance on our life where we come in to a situation or whatever and people look and they can't smell anything, but they, spiritually they look and say, there's something different about her. There's something different about him. And, and it's that fragrance, spiritual fragrance, that the Holy Spirit brings uh, into our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote of it in Second Corinthians, and he said, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death to death and to the other the aroma of life to life and who is sufficient for these things. The Holy Spirit brings a fragrance to our lives that's noticeable to others as just as God uh, intended it to be. And the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices. Um, anybody know how that next word is pronounced? What is it? Stacked. Okay. And then uh, how about this next one? You're on a roll. Okay, not going to try it. All right, anybody else? What is it? Annika. We've got one Annika. Anybody else? Okay, well, you see it in there. All right. And then, uh, then this next one, uh, uh, Galbanum. Okay, don't, don't write that. Don't bet $2,400 on double jeopardy if, if you're there on, on, on that uh, pronunciation. So here, these, the sweet spices here, pure, 
uh, frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. And you shall take, uh, make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine. And you shall put some of it before the testimony of the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you and it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, and this is the description now of the incense, that was, what it was to be made of and that was offered on the altar of incense morning and evening. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves According to its composition, it shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So again you have the incense that was to be offered symbolizing prayer, but God makes is very careful to let us know that there is a fragrance associated with prayer. Again, David speaking about uh, how God receives our prayers as a sweet-smelling fragrance to him. It's something that is beautiful uh, to him. Oh no, I, I don't know if he wants to hear from me again, you know. No, it's fragrance. From, uh, from him. So it's, it's something uh, beautiful. I think also the reason that the fragrance was added to the incense is that here, if you've ever known anybody that was really big into incense, we're not big into incense that much in this culture. Well, there's a subculture within the culture. We don't go oh, stop it. Okay. So, <laughs> but if you've ever been around somebody that's really been in, into the thing, when, when you go in, they would go in and they'd light this incense to the Lord morning and evening. What happens when that smoke gets all over you for the rest of the day? You've got that incense on you. You can't escape it. You say, wow, what were you, who was burning incense around you? There, there's, a, uh, there's something that's left on our lives uh, is what it's representing. And the same thing is true even related to our prayer life. When a person begins the day in prayer or they take time to say, time out, I'm going to go over here, I'm going to pray and then reintroduce myself into that situation. The prayer puts a fragrance upon our life that is discernible. Again, it's a spiritual kind of thing where somebody sees us walking through life and, they, and as they look at our life, they say, where in the world does that kind of peace come from? Where does that sense of confidence in, in, in life come from? And, and these kind of things. And it's the uh, after effect and the uh, after smell of prayer that's upon our lives. And so it's a beautiful picture uh, of that. As we pray each day, we're bringing a, uh, impacting the situations that we go into for the rest of the day with, with that scent that we pick up uh, from the Lord uh, in prayer. Chapter 31. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding, in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to, make wor to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting jewels for settings, and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. So here's God's giving all of these detailed plans to Moses. Moses is a leader. He's a, a prophet. He's delivering the people out of Egypt. He's, maybe he's thinking to himself, listen, 
you've never seen me work a jigsaw, uh, or you never saw me in chemistry class. I don't know, how am I going to put all these things together out here? And, and, all? And, and what God was basically saying to him here is, listen, I've given you the instructions, but I'm working both ends of the situations. I've prepared men uh, who have the uh, artistic ability, the, physically speaking, to bring these plans to fruition. You carry the plan. You make sure that what I'm asking for happens, but there will be other people involved to do it. And never ever, these guys are called the, the gifted artisans. We'll get to the second one in just a moment. But mo that tabernacle would have never happened. Those furnishings would have never happened. Not in anything you'd want to have anybody see. Uh, those, the the uh, garments related to the Aaronic priesthood would have never happened apart from these guys who could physically pull it off. It took the whole team to do it. So we have to be careful in the body of Christ, not to look and say, well, the person that gets revelation from God, the person that does this is in one kind of a category, and then the people who are able to work with their hands and put this together and pull all these things off, they're in a lesser category. They are not. It's all worship to the Lord, and, no, and without the one having the other, then nothing's going to get accomplished. So it's just such a beautiful picture that it takes all this diversity in the body of Christ to pull off the, the, the work of the Lord uh, today. And so God gave him the, uh, the instructions, and then he brought men alongside Moses here who could do it. Would you notice there the first uh, four words there or so of, of verse 2? Uh, the Lord says, See, I have called, and then the first four words of verse 3, and I have filled uh, him, and then you get down in verse six here, and I indeed have appointed him with Eliahab, the son of this man of the tribe of Dan, and it, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. So I have called, I have filled, I have appointed. When God calls somebody to do something, He then enables them to do that. It's always the case. So I've got these guys, they're sitting there, they don't even know what's coming their way, but I've, I've gifted them to do it and they're going to pull this, this thing off. And it's always the way that it is. God's callings are always His enablings. So if you sit here tonight, it happens all the time, where a person looks and says, God's calling me to do something, and I've never done that before. How in the world am I going to do that? And then we want to talk ourselves out of what God is calling us to. He always gives us the ability in the gifting to pull off what He's calling us to do. And you will always be slightly over your head in what God has called you to do because it will keep you humble in your service to the Lord and it will cause you to never forget that the Lord is doing this and that if He pulled off your life for one second, there'd, there'd be nothing to show for it. So He gets all of the glory. But don't, but don't look and say, oh no, I, you know, God's calling me to do this. I wonder if He's going to come through and, and also fill me and appoint me to do it. He always does that. It comes with the calling. And so the second gifted artisan, Aholiab, uh, and they're going, to, they're going to be involved in making all of these things. Verse 7, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it. 
All the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests, the anointing oil, the sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you. I gave you the commands. You're not going to pull this off. They shall do. Wonderful team. Beautiful picture of the body of Christ and how the Spirit works. And then in verse 12, he reminds the children of Israel of the Sabbath. He said, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. And notice that, to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath. Therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does, not, uh, does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath day, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. And therefore, notice again, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and, once again, the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And so God now gives the children of Israel once again, reminds them of the importance of the Sabbath. Now the purpose of the Sabbath we've already covered uh, in at some length in chapter 20 and all how it does not apply to us as, as Christians because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Uh, the Bible teaches He has become our spiritual uh, rest. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of it. Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said, Therefore let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance of Christ. Paul said the Sabbath was always intended to be uh, fulfilled by Christ, by Jesus when, when he came. He said, why are you you're saying all of this? So many people are constantly confused by the Sabbath. And there are a lot of Sabbath people that are trying to pull people into the Sabbath and, and all. So this is why I, I mention it once again. Notice again, even internally within the passage, God is very careful to declare that this is a covenant, uh, a sign, uh, a seal of a covenant that He is making with the children uh, of Israel. And uh, they were to keep it as an evidence of their, their faith in, in God. Now, why does God bring the Sabbath up once again, and why does He bring it up in this context? He is reminding Moses, I want you to build this tabernacle, I want you to build these furnishings, I want you guys to put the, the, Aaronic, the clothing of the Aaronic priesthood together. All these things are important. They're, I want it all to happen, but do not violate my Sabbath to do it. And the Sabbath was a time of rest for the children of Israel. The seventh day, no work. It was a set aside for God. 
for them to grow in their relationship with God, for them to process the week that they had just had with God, and then to prepare themselves for the week that was out in front of them. It was their you know, personal relationship side of, of what they had going on between them and God. That's what the Sabbath was to them. And, Mo, and God was speaking to Moses and saying, this is a really important thing that I'm calling you to do but it is not to crowd out the personal relationship side of things in doing it and and there's the would be the great temptation to say all right we got to get this thing done you know front and center everybody and we're going to scrap sabbaths for six months in order to do it God said don't do that because as important as all of this other stuff to me is it is not remotely as important to me as the personal relationship is. And that's a heavenly father speaking to children. You wouldn't want your children running around doing all these things for you at the expense of the relationship. It's all about the relationship. And God feels the same way. And, and it's a good reminder for us in our ministries and in our service not to sacrifice our daily time with the Lord, the personal relationship side of our life, and say, well, i got to get onto this, and i got to get this, and the ministry that God has called me to do is very, very important, and, you know, so I'm going to let my devotional life with God slide for a number of days or weeks or, or whatever in order to, to go over here. God's saying, I don't want it. It's not, it's not worth that to me. If it comes out of our relationship, then it will please me. If it happens at the expense of my relationship with you, then the ministry won't mean what I want it to mean to me. Remember when he spoke to the church at Ephesus, Jesus, in, in the book of Revelation? They were, I mean, this was a church that if they were saying, listen, the pastor's leaving and pastors can candidate for it, I mean, the line would form around the block. This was one great church, works and ministry and uh, orthodox in their teaching, testing false teachers, all of this stuff. And, and God says, but I got one thing against you. He said, you've left, left your first love. It's the kind of thing that can happen in a marriage where, man, the marriage is just cooking and they've got this thing and it's and never been more efficient and all. But one day the husband and wife wake up and say, and the husband would look over at the wife or the wife would look over at the husband and say, you know what, I would scrap all this in a minute to have you run to the door when I come home like you did when we first met or whatever would be the woman's equivalent of that. And, and so that's what happened. They're doing all of these things. And God said, it, I, want to, I want the first love. I want when that was the most important thing uh, going on between you and I. And all these other great things were coming out of that. But because it's reversed, he said, if you don't turn this thing around, he said, then I'm going to remove your lampstand uh, from its place. And he, he gives them a strong warning, come back to the proper priorities. And it's a good word for us in our own lives because there's the temptation for all of us to get those two things flipped around. And yeah, we may get a lot done, but what we're missing from the vantage point of heaven is it's spoiling everything for him. He can't enjoy what we're doing for him in the way that he would otherwise do that and God is involved in what we're doing and we do it to bring him joy 
And, uh, and so uh, keeping this all straight as he speaks to them here was, uh, was important toward that, uh, that end. Well, we'll stop there tonight. Surprise. Uh, uh, um, oh, no, verse 18. And then when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, uh, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So the Ten Commandments written on these two stones, authored by God, written by, with his very hand, written on stone because they don't change and uh, so here you got all this glory happening up on the uh, top of Mount Sinai between uh, God and Moses but there's some real trouble going on down in River City it's a mess what's happening down there among the people and we'll get into that a week from this Sunday night uh, if, if the Lord tarries